this week on the Saber.com podcast, a look back at a tough couple of games for the football and basketball teams, and we look ahead to the Coastal Division showdown with Pittsburgh. Let's go. The online source for the serious Wahoo fan, the Saber.com. And we're off into another week of the Saber.com podcast. Jeff Sweatman, your host, joined by editor Chris Wright and associate editor Chris Horn. And an eventful week for the Who's uh, off to a one-two start uh, for the basketball team. We'll get into men's basketball in just a little bit. Brush off the um, loss at Houston, very tough Houston team. And we had football, uh, ABC in town for the game on Saturday. Backup quarterback on the field for UVA didn't turn out so well against Notre Dame, but everything's still in front of the Who's big, big matchup uh, this Saturday at Pitt. So you want to look ahead or look back, gentlemen? Chris Wright, I'll send it to you first. I mean, it's kind of both, right? Because sort of Notre Dame gives us, a, and BYU as well, gives us a little bit of an idea of what's going to be needed against Pittsburgh and other top 25 teams. So, I mean, I think the thing that that's a little strange right now is Virginia's in the Coastal Division race, <laughs> and everyone knows it, but there's this cloud hanging because can Brennan play? And if Brennan Armstrong can't play, are you really in the Coastal Division race? You know what I mean? So there's this kind of weird back and forth. And then there's also big picture wise, right? So they won the Coastal in 2019. They're in the hunt again in 2021. But you're looking at it in year six going, the defense is a disaster. Like why? Right. So there's a little bit of a, a push and pull about where the program is, because on one side, you're seeing a lot of positives, you know, four plus wins in the ACC for uh, multiple seasons in a row. This is the first time since Al Groh's little stretch at the beginning of his tenure. And Welsh obviously did it a bunch. So that part's positive. They're in the coastal race again. That part's positive. You have a record-setting offense. You have a record-setting quarterback. All of that's positive. The defense is a disaster. There doesn't appear to be a lot of depth. You know, quarterback secession, there's a gap. You know, Wolfolk looks pretty good, but obviously wasn't ready for a top 25 opponent. So there's a little bit of this t- tug of war going on sort of, I think, even within an individual fan, I don't think it's necessarily super positive fans versus super negative fans. I don't mean that kind of tug of war. I mean, within every fan, there's a little bit of this, you know, w- where's the program at? Are they really in contention for the coastal right now? If Brennan doesn't play, there's this sort of overarching vibe that I'm getting from fans that they don't quite know what to make of the Bro- Bronco Mendenhall era right now, e- even though they, it's, it's positive. They don't know how much to put their, their feet in. You know, is it a toe? Are they going to sit on the side of the pool? I don't think there's that many that are flat out cannonballing <laughs> into the pool that, yeah, let's go. It's now if they win the coastal, does, does that get a few people to dot dive right in? It, it's this weird kind of vibe I'm getting from the fans. So that's, that's big picture wise kind of where I think it is. And then, you know, small picture wise, Pittsburgh is going to be a, a huge task based on what we've seen against these last two ranked opponents. You know, what do you think, uh, Chris Horn? What were your impressions? It sounded like it was kind of a game time decision, but then they showed the footage of Brennan throwing mm-hmm. on the sideline. It was kind of like he he gave it about a you know minute or less <laughs> go, and it, it was pretty obvious he wasn't going to be able to play. Yeah, it didn't seem like uh, just from that that short clip that he was anywhere close to ready to go. And if I had to guess for this week, I know uh, Coach Mendenhall said it's day by day, and he's hoping. It gets to hour by hour and second by second, but I would put my money on him not playing this weekend. But we'll see. Uh, hopefully, he can. Uh, maybe he can. He's a he's a fast healer and can come back from the injury that we really don't know the specifics about uh, still. So we know it's a rib rib injury, but we're not, you know, uh, sure. You know exactly what the specifics are there. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, like Chris said, I think it it is very interesting. It's like UVA's has control of his own destiny, but it doesn't feel like it <laughs> at all, especially with Armstrong out because there, because there isn't, there is no defense that, uh, that at this point that Virginia, like the Virginia, Virginia cannot, cannot rely on the defense to go out there and, you know, hold a team to 20 and under points to give an offense that, you know, without Armstrong obviously um, is going to, to have its struggles. Although it will be interesting to see how they kind of tweak things after having um, you know seen what Wolfa could do against Notre Dame, so I'll be interested to see how uh, you know what they do in terms of getting other guys more involved, like like some like Mike Hollins, De- Devin Darrington, some of those guys. Uh, but yeah, so really, I mean, the the, the big question is is uh, is Brennan Armstrong, and uh, you know if if he's not 
able to go. Virginia still has some talent on offense, but without the quarterback to get get the the talent, especially those receivers, the football, then uh, that's obviously a major concern. And again, the defense. I know Coach Menendez says they showed improvement and things like that, but honestly, it's like okay, they did show improvement, but what's the seal? I mean, if the if the uh, the upside is that they hold a team to like twenty eight points, is like you know without Armstrong UVA you know, can they reach 28 points is, is, is the question. So yeah, definitely uh, Armstrong's definitely the, the key right now. And, you know, even if he's able to play against Pittsburgh, you know, Pittsburgh with that pass rush and they're cer- certainly super aggressive and, you know, other teams would be uh, super aggressive kind of like Notre Dame was against Wolfolk. You know, they're going to, they're going to test out Armstrong and, and see how healthy he really is. So if he's able to play, um, you know, how, how, how much will he be able to hold up to an intense pass rush, pass rush, which, uh, which uh, Pitt is pretty much uh, known for. Well, the thing to me, guys, that stood out in with Notre Dame just being as good as they are and kind of defensive minded, I guess, over the past several years. And here we had basically two weeks to prepare Wolfolk for this game because you had to know within the program, they had to know Brennan wasn't going to be able to go. So you got to kind of assume they're going to send the house, you know, every time, like they're going to put pressure on you until you show that you can handle the pressure. And it didn't seem like from the very beginning that we had any kind of plan B for like maybe some bubble screens and maybe some simple, you know, let's keep it simple. Like, man, it seemed like he was trying to zip passes in to like, you know, slant route. It just seemed like a complicated, you know, let's lob it down the sideline for a 23 yard. I mean, what just, no, none of that is going to work, especially against the, that good of a team. So did you see any, any of that with the game plan or was I just, was it just, you know, one team was just better than the other one? It was definitely some of the latter. Notre Dame was definitely better than Virginia. You know, Brennan is the great, equalizer so I don't know that they're that much better but with the the team that Virginia put out there Saturday I, I thought it was pretty clear and yes yeah. the Chris mentioned the defense made some strides but I also don't feel like Notre Dame in the second half was really challenging them all that much right um it was a take care of the ball we have a 21 to nothing lead and the only way that they somehow come back is if we give them short fields with turnovers that's the vibe it felt like so in terms of the offense like there were some quick throws, some quick out to, there's a quick one out to Kemp. There's a quick one out to Thompson, like, you know, sideways throws to the flats. Mm-hmm. There were not your traditional screens. There were not the bubble screen. I still don't understand why bubble screens to Kemp aren't called at least once a quarter, but um, I kind of understand it when it's Brennan because he's, he's lighting it up 15, 20 yards at a time. Yeah. But maybe with Wolfa, but you know, we don't really know how good he is at throwing certain things. So they have a, some, data from practice that we don't on the type of throws that he can make he had some quick ones to Jelani you know those quick little sort of sit down seam deals but anytime it seemed like they were trying to get more because ultimately to score points you got to get some chunk yardage yeah he, he he seemed to be a little hesitant at times that was the issue with some of the the pressure like there, there were outlet valves there were reads that he could make watching from field level there were receivers open at times so some of it was just you know first time starter first freshman to start since 1977 like yeah yeah some of it was that now there were a few where you know there were breakdowns where the offensive line didn't protect protect quite as well as it seems they have with Brennan but again there's a little bit of a a teeter-totter there in terms of how much of the weight goes to one or the other I also think there's the part to consider that Notre Dame had nothing to do with your goals. So did they hold back some things and keep it a little vanilla to show certain kind of film to pit while also trying to win the game? You know what I mean? So there's a little bit of that that sort of may have played into it too. I'm not suggesting they, they, they shut it down and like didn't try to win. That's not what I mean, but they may have been selective with the menu, both because of Wolf folks newness the status of the game meaning nothing you know that there's a lot of choices they could have made to try to win the game but also kind of protect him in his first start protect the Pittsburgh film protect you know so there's a little bit of a weird dance that they were doing I think yeah that's true Chris Horn I'll I'll throw this to you so this is probably you know I don't know how much the message boards are lighting up over this but 
the folks that have been kind of clamoring for that traditional running game, you know, we, we've seen in years past when Binkert went down, when, you know, quarterbacks have gone down uh, from the starting standpoint for UVA, th those backups haven't really looked too solid coming in. So that's when you kind of need that running game to lean on when, so that not all the pressure is on one guy, one quarterback, and then your whole season is lost when you lose one guy. Because mm -hmm. in this style of offense, the one guy seems to get hurt quite a bit too, you know, so. Yeah, no, that's, a, I mean, that's a, that's a good point as far as with the offense that Virginia runs. Yeah. The quarterback's going to take some hits. Now, again, as I've said many times, Bryce Perkins was kind of like a, a phenomenon in terms of his toughness. Like he got, he, he took some real big licks and was able to withstand that and come through and, and continue to play. Um, Armstrong's been kind of nicked up here and there um, in the course of his tenure, you know, playing with UVA. So, but yeah, I mean, I think when you have that, I've, I mean, I think any team, you know, when you have a star like Armstrong and how well he's played, you know, I don't care who you are. If you lose them, you know, the, 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 your team's just not going to be as good. I mean, if Kansas City loses Pat Mahomes, it's just not, you know. Right, right. You can't just – most times you don't have some guy like that kind of waiting waiting to come in. Um, and I thought Wolf – I thought he played like a true freshman. I thought he played okay, though. Um, I thought, you know, I liked his poise – yeah, I think there was many times where he was hesitant um, and and took a while to kind of read the defense, and, and it took him a little bit to get, I think, comfortable. I was a little surprised that UVA didn't lean on that. And Chris had mentioned, I think, last week, uh, we were looking back at the Wake Forest game last year when Armstrong didn't play and how UVA kind of really mixed it up with, you know, Keaton Thompson played a lot, Wildcat-type wildcat stuff, Ira Armstead. I, I thought we would see more of that, especially early in the game, like to get that – get that running game going. And, I mean, because, you know, Coach Mendenhall has said consistently uh, that he, he feels like the running back group is one of the be better groups on the team. If there's any time to showcase that, I would think now's the time to come out and give, you know, give Mike Hollins, give Devin Darrington and those guys a chance to get the running game going and to, to you know, take some of the pressure off of, of Wolfolk and, and hopefully, you know, help the offense get some get some points on the board. So, and, and especially, you know, you know, Darrington, we've seen him reel off some nice runs. Holland looked pretty good, you know, toward the end of the game, um, especially. But, you know, it'd be interesting to see if those guys had a chance from start to finish, you know, what, what that would look like. And again, I was a little surprised that we didn't didn't see that, uh, frankly. So, but, you know, maybe to Chris's point, uh, maybe this week against Pittsburgh, maybe we will see some of that you know, obviously dependent on Armstrong's status, but maybe we will see some of those guys get more opportunities, get more touches, uh, you know, to help, help Wolfolk, help Wolfolk out. But again, I thought he, I thought he looked okay. There was, you know, several times, there was several times where it was like, you know, you could tell, you know, I think we, you know, Armstrong, when he's thrown with his receivers, you know, they dependent, it's dependent on what the receiver sees and what the quarterback sees. And they have that chemistry of knowing where the guy's going to go. Like there was one time I, I remember where UVA had driven into uh, Notre Dame territory pretty significantly. And, you know, Jay had Keaton, they just had a missed kind of communication where Keaton faked in and went out and Wolfolk threw over the middle. Whereas, you know, if he actually, if he hits Keaton on that on breaking out, Keaton could have a touchdown or at least get into the uh, into the Notre Dame ten yard line, and then uh, you know, so kind of little things like that as well, just kind of have it being on the same page with those receivers. Um, that's only that's something that you really can't recreate, you know, at this point in the season. I don't think so. I think to your point, Jeff, I think maybe simplify it a little bit more moving forward, so where maybe those reads aren't you know don't have to be made necessarily. Well, and just a couple of things to th throw out, guys, in terms of the psychology of this game, which was already weird, you know, from the beginning without Armstrong and such a cryptic period of two weeks. Is he going to play? Is he not going to play? You know, the very first snap, like you're saying, Chris Horn, it's kind of cool to see Thompson back there taking the wildcat. But psychologically, when you got Wolfo, gonna, he's going to have to lead the team through a, a game like this. I just thought it was an odd choice to come out the very first play and not snap it to your quarterback, you know, like we're getting tricky already. And it didn't number two, it didn't work. And number three, like what kind of confidence is that instilling in your, you know, your freshman quarterback, who's probably nervous as all heck anyway. So that, that was odd. Then you finally get in a, a position to possibly, you know, kick a field goal, you fake it. 
and then try to run 12 yards for the first, like the announcer just went on and on about how ridiculous that was. I mean, we've all seen plenty of fake field goals, but I mean, what in the world? And he almost made it. It almost looked like he tripped. <laughs> Otherwise he would have had the first down. So it was just like from the beginning. And then you look, look at the, uh, the rundown of, of the drive. So we were able to stop, you know, Notre Dame on downs defense is fired up. They come off the field. We go three and out Notre Dame touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. The, their other three drives of the half. So the game is basically over at halftime. So to me, you got to get points on the board, just psychologically kick the field goal. You know, if you miss it, you miss it. But I mean, don't, don't try any trickeration fourth and 12, you know? So that, those are just my kind of early impressions. Chris Wright have at it. <laughs> when I refresh my memory, was there a penalty that took it to 12 yards instead of seven? There might've been. Yeah. Right before that fake field goal. I'm yeah. Which again, it's like, come on, how can you be? How can you I feel like there was, I can't yards? but as soon as he went out there, remember, uh, this is the advantage of duplicating numbers, right? So Jacob Finn also wears number 16 and he's normally the holder for field goals. And so, you know, I'm looking through the lens going, huh, I wonder why they switched to uh, Wolfolk for holds. And then I went, oh, wait, it's the same number. So I'm processing all of this live. Wow. Is Notre Dame processing that live? Cause they, they would also know they would have also stared at the film. So there's a little bit of that in there. I didn't love the fake field goal call simply because why waste it duplicating numbers. You can sneak him on the field. It's 12 yards in a game that doesn't matter to me. I would have kept that for one of these next two weeks, but you know, maybe they saw something on film that made Notre Dame vulnerable to it as well. So it's hard to know without game planning myself. <laughs> right like if i studied every notre dame tendency and all that kind of stuff but yeah i didn't love it if he had gotten it those same announcers would have been going on and on about how they're <laughs> giving their freshman was. quarterback a, a chance to extend that you know what i mean like so whatever but i don't know man i didn't like it because of di distance and i think if i i vaguely think there was a penalty right before that yeah it so was we're at the 30 it, would have been a... it was actually the it was a third and five and it looked like Virginia was going to do where the, uh, the the play where the quarterback rolls a little bit and then the running back comes this way. And now either he was going to hand to Hollins coming back on like a counter type thing or he was going to keep it and keep going left. Unfortunately, I think there were like six Notre Dame defenders right there uh, ready to make the play. So they have the loss of seven. But go, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, and so that, that's kind of a bread and butter play for them. But I do mm -hmm. remember like thinking, oh, if they hadn't just lost yardage, that's not as – Oh yeah, out of yeah. a call, right? So there was yeah. I couldn't remember exactly what happened before that. You know, I feel like we're beating up on Wolfolk a little bit. Like, oh yeah, and I don't mean to do unintentionally. Yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah. I mean we have to analyze what it compares like to mm -hmm. what it normally looks like. But I think it's just a little bit unfair to Wolfolk in general because he happens to be rolling in behind a Heisman candidate. <laughs> like, you know, so, so it it skews a little bit. He didn't play all that poorly. It just wasn't great, right? He didn't get his team in right. the end zone. There were definitely inconsistencies. He did throw for 196 yards. That's the most ever by a true freshman starting quarterback at Virginia. You know, there's not that many true freshman starting quarterbacks. That's a shorter list, but still yeah. he threw for the most of any of them. So yeah, there's a little bit of that going on, but yeah, I didn't love the, didn't love the fake because of the situation. Well, and you know, guys coming in, it just was going to be tough anyway. So I, I just feel like right from the get go, we made it a little bit tougher on our on ourselves but overall you know it was nice to see those those defensive stops there were numerous times where, where Notre Dame went for it didn't make it good to see the defense kind of buckle down and and get an interception in the second half uh there was a fumble uh that we recovered so getting a couple of turnovers I think it gives us good momentum going into the the pit game I think Pitt maybe overall has shown they they might be a better offensive team than Notre Dame so we might have some challenges there but Chris Horn, what have you seen from the uh, the Panthers this year? Eight and two on the season. Well, sticking with the Virginia defense, yeah. I mean, I, I know Coach Mendenhall continues to take a positive tone, but you know the missed tackles are once again a huge problem uh, in the first half against Notre Dame. Like Virginia seems to be in position to make the play, but they're just not making the play. They seem and, to kind of go low. I mean, is there like a tackling technique or something that needs to be? Um, I think Covington said on the radio broadcast, you just got to put your face on them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not, uh, I don't know. It's just kind of like the defense has opportunity to get off the field, but I kind of felt like 
it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the Wake game, although I don't, Notre Dame I don't think has as good an offense as Wake Forest. But Wake Forest basically could, you know, any big play, they came through and made the play, and the Virginia defense didn't. So it seemed to me like it was just Virginia was just outmatched. That's the whole thought I had the whole Wake Forest game was that Virginia just seems like outmanned. Like they just – they're trying hard, but they just seem like, you know, Wake Forest is just flat out better. And I, I kind of got that sent. And then Wake, you know, Wake scored on its first seven possessions before, you know, kind of, you know, I guess toward the end of the game, I, you know, kind of relenting a little bit. UVA was able to make some stops at the end of the game. But, you know, so the stops at the end of the game, you know, to me aren't super impressive. I think uh, I was encouraged by the start of the third quarter for the Virginia defense with the Anthony Johnson interception followed by a three and out. I thought that gave the offense a chance to at least – kind of make it interesting and get back in the game unfortunately that didn't happen but but after those first two possessions that you know Notre Dame you know still you know scored a touchdown um and then had that long drive where they basically just, they fumbled themselves really it wasn't really necessarily the Virginia defense doing anything so uh, yeah the defense still still worries me not just for this year but certainly for next year and then looking at Pittsburgh Pittsburgh has been a well-oiled machine this year they can, they can, you know, obviously Kenny Pickett with his passing numbers and and they have some good receivers, but they can also run the ball. You know, watching them against Virginia Tech earlier this year, they, uh, they, they, you know, when they had to run the football, they, they did a pretty good job. So there's going to be a lot for the defense to handle this week. And I'm not sure exactly what the recipe for success is. Again, I'm not, I, th- I think there are missed assignments, but how good can, you know, if they make make the play, how good can the Virginia defense be these last two weeks? Can they make the plays that they need to make and hold? You know, I think they're going to have to do better than 28 points, you know, without Armstrong. So that's my my biggest concern right now is the, is the defense's, you know, uh, yeah. ceiling or, you know, the upside really and what well, they're capable of doing. Well, and I'm chuckling there, Chris Horn, in the background just because I'm looking at Pittsburgh's season this year. There, there's there are two losses. Basically, they scored 34 and lost at home to Miami a couple weeks ago. And early in the season, they lost at home to Western Michigan, 44-41. So even in their two losses, they've scored at least 34. And they barely lost those two games. So they, they are going to be tough. The, at one point, they scored 77 on New Hampshire. Uh, they rolled up 52 on Georgia Tech. They beat Virginia Tech 28-7. Beat Clemson at home, 27-17. And they won their last couple of games. They scored 54 on Duke and uh, beat North Carolina by a touchdown. So uh, 30 to 23 last week. So they've got a couple of wins in a row here after that Miami loss. And, you know, their destiny is right in front of them, too. They they got to go to Syracuse for their final game. But this is kind of their Coastal Division title game right here for them. So, you know, they're going to be coming out raring to go. Uh, 14 and a half point favorites as I look at it right here. So odds makers, I guess, are assuming Brennan's not playing. <laughs> and uh, Chris Wright, what do you think uh, we need to do primarily? I mean, Pickett is right up there with Armstrong, I'd say, in the Heisman race. He seems to be getting a lot of hype and publicity, maybe even the number one quarterback drafted in, in the draft next year. So all of that is why fans are really nervous if Brennan can't play, right? It's hard to see. Anyway, this defense keeps Pittsburgh under 30, just based on what we've seen so far. If they do, we all come back next week. We eat crow instead of uh, turkey, and we, <laughs> gladly. You know, we, we <laughs> gladly have that, and we salute the defense. But it's hard to look at it and go, hey, the defense is going to hold them under 30 and give a chance. And then you look at the other side. Okay, if Brendan Armstrong doesn't play, it's really hard to see, based on what we've seen, that Jay Wolfolk can get his team above 30 and or they can flip the script from what they've been doing to a run heavy whatever to take and let other people get help get the team to 30. It's really hard to see how Virginia can win the football game. However, if Brennan plays, shootout, right? Two quarterbacks going at it. Pitt comes after you, yes, but Virginia has a lot of man, a lot of man-to-man beaters. So the thing is, if you go heavy blitzing, yes, you can zone behind it. Virginia has shown they can handle that. Or you can go straight up man-to-man behind it, and Virginia's got man-beaters and, and, and Wicks and Thompson and Woods. He plays, you know Brennan's going to find those guys. So it really all comes down to that. Is, is, he, is he capable? Because I, I don't think Virginia's offense is capable of putting up enough points based on what we think Pittsburgh's going to do. Pickett is great. Very similar to, to Armstrong. Very experienced. Knows where the ball goes in his system. You know, will check you out of stuff. Gets the ball out quick. 
Yeah, he's really good. He should be in the Heisman conversation. You know, the, you know, so there was a, like a, you know, you know how social media is. There was a t- tweet of some sort that was, you know, it, it listed some candidates. Pickett was one of them. And then it had a question mark. Who else would you put in there? Well, some Virginia fan comes in and says, you know, here's Brennan Armstrong. Here's his numbers compared to these other quarterbacks you have in this picture. And so then a Pitt fan comes in and goes, well, yeah, but what about Pickett? And Pickett was already there. And it's like, yo, man, we're not saying Pickett shouldn't be there. He should. <laughs> he should. It's just like, you know, don't forget about Brennan. That's all. Yeah. So it's just interesting to be like, yeah, we're, we're, <laughs> we're not yeah. hating on Pickett. He's doing great. Right. Yeah, like, it's crazy it's like, to look you will at their get nothing, stats. Yeah. You will get nothing bad out of me uh, or any, any of the one on the Virginia side, I think, mm-hmm. uh, about Pickett. He's great. Shoot, well, shootout is the only way to win this game. The only way right. that happens is if Brennan plays. Well, and looking at their stats side by side here, guys, it's amazing. So I assume Pickett's been healthy all year. I don't think he's missed any games, but knowing that Armstrong has missed one, uh, they have Pickett has one less completion and about 20 less throws. They have almost the exact same number of yards. They're both over 3,500. Pickett's got five more touchdown passes and four less interceptions. And that's with Armstrong not having played against Notre Dame. So he'd obviously have a, a bit more on his end, but that, that's a fascinating to me that those guys are that close <laughs> statistically. So, well, uh, it'll be tough. To, Chris Horn, do you think, you know, kind of to my point that we were talking about right off the bat of quit like protecting the ribs, man, we do not want Armstrong taking any hits. Let's just say perfect world. He plays. Is there some kind of game plan that you can envision where we're, because I feel like Armstrong has been doing a lot of dropping back this year and maybe we're not that quick release type Tom Brady offense, but can we tweak it a little bit? Well, uh, Coach Mendenhall uh, was asked about this with respect to Wolfolk uh, and, uh, and the receivers were talking about, you know, Dontavian Wicks, Keaton Thompson mentioned how they need to help out Jay. And I think, yeah, part of that Coach Mendenhall said was potentially finding ways to get the ball out quicker, whether it's, um, you know, play design, or just the receivers getting open quicker and things like that. So, yeah, I think so. And I think if, if Armstrong comes back, I think that's what you would have to see rather than necessarily. I mean, I, I think you're still going to have certainly sprinkled in the, you know, if Armstrong plays, you know, those long pass plays, kind of long developing pass plays, which have worked so well this year for UVA, because that's kind of UVA's bread and butter, I think, this year. But I think more, more yeah, I definitely 100% would see more of those short, you know, quick kind of get it out there type uh, type of throws um, if Armstrong goes because yeah Pitt's aggressive they uh, they come at you and and you know they're they're trying to get to the quarterback and they're not shy about blitzing so and Coach Mendenhall mentioned they're not shy about bringing six guys uh, regularly so yeah I would expect that uh, certainly to be uh, part of the equation if if Armstrong goes now the the you know another thing to look out for though is you know Billy Kemp unfortunately yeah he went down with a tough looking injury this past week. Man, uh, this kid is tough. The fact that he even tried to come back in and play, um, he looked like he wasn't even close to ready, but he's just a flat-out warrior type of guy. But, yeah, his he looks extremely questionable for this week as well. Now, if, if he's not there, then that, that kind of hurts that because I think he's a guy that they can go to for those shorter, quicker uh, types of deals. Well, one last thing, guys, before we get into the, the men's basketball discussion here on the Sabre.com podcast. You know, we're not looking ahead, but we're always looking ahead uh, in terms of the the tech game to end the season. And now they've made the the early Tuesday morning announcement of all things that that their coach, uh, Justin Fuente, is not going to be there anymore. So not totally unexpected news, I'm sure for you guys. But what were your impressions there just just quickly? And then, uh, you know, we never want to talk too much about the Hokies on the on the program here. But Chris Wright, what did you make of the timing and? and all of that stuff. No, no surprises anywhere with any of it. Uh, that has been trending. It has been rumored. The only maybe mild surprise is, did something go on behind the scenes to reduce the buyout? I think the radio reported around $8 million buyout or something like that this morning. And I thought it was more than that if they bought him out before. I believe it was December the 15th. So the time Supposed to be 10, yeah. Right. So maybe something that was negotiated out there. But yeah, so the timing in that sense. But remember, like, they announced Beamer's replacement while the football game was going on against Virginia that year. So them announcing things in the middle of seasons 
not surprising at all. It seems to be kind of how they've chosen to do things. Chris Horn, you know, you've got the recruiting aspect down mm -hmm. for the, the Sabre.com. Did that have something to do with it, with the deadlines and things like that for recruits? Well, with the early signing period, yeah, I think that kind of makes a difference. So kids can can sign, uh, you know, in December now as opposed to having to wait till February. So I think there's a little bit less time uh, from on the college football coaching front to, you know, they don't have as much time to kind of wait to the end of the year and then wait, you know, wait longer or else they'll be really, really behind if some of the, you know, the class moves on and and things like that. So, yeah, I think recruiting certainly had a had, had something to do with uh, with that and, you know you know, they want to be able to get their guy in place as soon as possible to try to re-recruit the guys that have committed. And uh, so I'm sure that played played a role in this as well. I'd be interested to to know the reaction around the Bronco Mendenhall household when they heard that news on Tuesday morning. Maybe a little champagne for breakfast, just, just one glass, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Since they were hired at the same time and uh, being blood rivals and whatnot. But uh, we Bronco will- Bronco strikes me more as a milk- <laughs> Milk and cookies kind of guy. That's than, true. That's true. Than a champagne kind of guy. Can UVA hire Mimosa. Can UVA hire Fuente as an analyst for the uh, final game of the season? Oh man, it will be interesting to see where that guy goes. You know, it it seemed to go okay in the beginning, but there were all. It just seemed like his whole tenure was was fraught with a variety of issues. So maybe he kind of hunkers down as an assistant somewhere for a couple of years before making it back to the head ranks. We will uh, talk about the UVA men's ball team next. Uh, a couple of games to recap since we last talked here on the Saber.com podcast. The Front Porch is a nonprofit roots music organization, and we uh, connect everyone through music. I like the way that the Front Porch encourages people to, to sort of engage with their community and sort of enlarge the community. Everybody is included, and that's really what the word community is about, you know, making sure that everybody has their chance to have a good time and, and participate and add something. Now we're back for the second segment here on the Sabre.com podcast. Jeff Sweatman, Chris Wright, Chris Horn, discussing uh, all things who's related. And we mentioned the, uh, the women's field hockey team last week, guys. They did make it to the, the Sweet 16. They, they fell to Maryland on Friday, 2-1, to one, but... Congrats to them on a, uh, a great season. And there's been a change in the uh, the women's soccer schedule. They're going to play Thursday and Saturday now instead of uh, Friday, Sunday. BYU is in the bracket. So that's why they, BYU can't play on Sundays, I guess. So some interesting games coming up, hopefully, at Clockner for the Hoos. Hopefully, they'll get two of them and uh, be able to play in that regional final this weekend. So that's the latest there. Uh, Basketball-wise, guys, it was a tough one. Man, Houston looked really good. They are 15th in the country, after all. And it's going to be a fun race in their conference between them and Memphis. I feel like two of the uh, the better teams in the country this year. So we'll see that we'll see if uh, they can run the table or you know I see them as you know maybe losing two, three, four games tops this year. They they just were tough. And uh, Calvin Sampson, of course, always has his his teams ready to go. It was uh, a 67-47 loss at Houston, and prior to that, uh, UVA did get in the win column against. Radford. So what were your impressions from both of those games, guys? Chris Wright, uh, you want to go first? The thing that's in my mind this morning is something I've heard Coach Bennett say a lot, and I think it's important to frame it this way in terms of what's next. So I think the first thing they have to do is eliminate losing. He says this all the time. We have to do get rid of the things that cause you to lose first. That That is a common refrain from him. So when I keep looking at these box scores, double-digit offensive rebounds and allowed in all three games, double-digit turnovers, I believe, in all three games. Yep. The three-point shots, two of the three, Navy and Houston, really high shooting percentage from three. And that happens sometimes, but I feel like in all three games, there were some breakdowns that allowed really clean looks from three. So when you do those three things, you are inviting losing. Now, every, I know the offense is struggling, and I totally agree with that. If they don't get creative offensively, I, I have a hard time seeing how this team is going to score purely running motion-based things. So sides, their traditional blocker-mover motion, even kind of like modified sides that has some ball screens in it. We've seen interior three-man motion at times in the past. There was a little bit of that against Houston, but it was modified. I'm not going to get into that. It's too hard to explain right here, but the – 
there are a little bit of that. So all of those are motion based though. And I don't know that that will work for this team. They may need more specifics, more wrinkles for isolations, more specific kind of ball screens. I don't really know what the answer is, but I do know that coach Bennett is probably going to trend to the stuff I said first initially he's not going to dive in and and come up with six thousand ways to fix the offense because even if you get to 60 or 62 by fixing the offense a little bit that's not going to solve the other problem where you're giving up too many and too easily right so houston got a ton of points just off of turnovers so fixing the offense could fix that right so that that may be what it means on that end so yeah eliminate losing first and i think that's how he's probably going to approach this initially while fans are going to talk about lineup changes and, you know, playing Beekman and Clark together and the offense needs to change and sides. It's predictable blocker movers, predictable, all the, those things. I suspect the rebound, the basketball, take care of the basketball contest shots is, is where this is going to start. And all three of those things have been mediocre in the first three games. And that's just not acceptable um, from Virginia's identity and the way they generally play. Yeah. And Chris Horn, um, it was interesting to me looking at the box score this morning, you know, four of 19 from three and 13 of 21 on free throws at the end of the game. I, I was kind of surprised that Houston only had 67 and they only were up 20. It just had a feel of one of those games where like, how do these guys not have 80 and they're up by like 30 by now, you know, it just, right. it was one of those games. that wasn't as close as the score indicated. Maybe even though we did have it down, like I think it was down to 11 at one point early in the second half, maybe, but, um, you know, if, let's say perfect world UVA hits eight, nine, if they're just as hot as Houston was from three and you hit four or five more of those threes, that's 15 points right there. And then if you hit your free throws, like they normally do, I mean, we can't shoot 62% from the line. That that's not, that's not going to win you many games either. And, you know, then you're right back in the game. You're in the sixties at least. So. I'm always, you know, Chris, I'm, I totally agree. And I think you're exactly right on where this is going, but at the same time, I think maybe UVA fans can look at it like, well, you know, you can't count on making 50% of your threes, but you know, if, if we do come out hot and if we just do those fundamental things, take care of the ball, rebound, play a little bit better defense, you're, you're right there. So I, I don't think we're as far away. Maybe as that, that game looked, is that, Anywhere close to to your take on it? Well, I think they there's certain certainly some things that you can control and some things that you can't. And uh, yeah, the the turnovers are something that and it is better decision making in general. You know, a few of you know, not to single single out Kihei, but you know, well, when you have you know Kihei Clark, Reese Beekman, Armand Franklin, kind of your three primary ball handlers had double digit turnovers i'm trying to see what the uh exact yeah. number was there i mean 11 you, total between those three you, yeah right you can't they i mean especially clark and beekman they just can't they they have to be uh more sure with the ball and better decision making there was many pat like or there were several passes where it looked like uh, you know i'm not sure exactly what the thought process was and then houston yeah to houston's credit as I mentioned with Pittsburgh's Pittsburgh Panthers offense in football is like a well-oiled machine. I mean, Houston, Houston's defense reminded me of, you know, Texas tech when they made the run, when UVA won the national, uh, the national championship. But uh, yeah, they looked, uh, I mean, defensively, they were all over the place. They were anticipating, they were confident group, you know, simply put, you know, UVA is a team, a new team trying to get chemistry, uh, and, and put things together, whereas you can tell Houston is a team that has played together for a long time, uh, cohesive unit. They're playing at home. You know, they they came in with the frame of mind and, and reading, um, I think Sasser maybe had made this quote uh, that they were they were taking this as like an NCAA tournament team, like a tournament game. So, they were, you know, they came in ready to ready to fight. I think that's where I want to see UVA improve. And that's where I was a little bit disappointed was with uh, UVA's defense and I think coach Bennett has also mentioned the grit factor and I think this comes down to like defensively and rebounding and things like that is really getting after it on D I think this team especially as the offense continues to find itself for some reason I'm not feeling like awful necessarily about the offensive capabilities I think they certainly have some uh, some room to a lot of room to grow for sure a lot of room to improve a lot of these guys are new to these offensive roles and I think 
potentially they can they, they can be okay. But defensively is where they're going to have to hang their hat in terms of being aggressive, being physical, really getting after you on defense. That's gonna got to be the calling card of this team. And hopefully, like we spoke about last week, you know, forcing some turnovers and maybe getting some easy buckets that way uh, will help as well. But yeah, I think taking care of the basketball with the turnovers. I mean, it's just you can't. They can't have uh, Clark and Beekman turning the ball over that many times, and uh, and just playing smart. But also on de- when it comes down to playing defense, and throughout the second half, you know, I guess I guess having watched you know UVA basketball for so long under Coach Bennett, you know, we're not seeing like the hands up necessarily and the kind of like tenaciousness. Uh, that we saw from Houston. Houston was tenacious, aggressive, physical, getting after you. That's what I'm looking for out of the Virginia defense, and I think that's what Coach Bennett's looking for. And I think that's what, what's their, what they're going to have to have um, if they're going to ha- uh, hope to compete this year. You know, and but you know, all the, all this being said, it's so funny how every November analysts make such a huge deal out of these November games, and then we get to February, and they're like, oh, it was just, an, it was just. It was just in November. It didn't really matter anyway. So, I mean, you know, it's a process. It's going to take some time. It's a new team. But simply put, they definitely need to show more physicality, aggressiveness, um, getting in-your-face uh, type defense. And hopefully that's what they can take from this this game against Houston, uh, seeing, you know, seeing that up close. And, and, again, as far as the offense, I don't think EVA is going to see another defense like this the rest of the season. So that, that can only help as well. I think you glance at the box score and get some of what is going on with reminding everything Chris just said, grit, defense, hands up, things like that. Obviously, Armand Franklin was in foul trouble, but 21 minutes. Jaden Gardner, 23 minutes. <laughs> I think there's a little bit of something being shown here, right? Shedrick, 22 minutes. You want a lot of minutes? You need to be more consistent defensively. You need to be grittier get your hands on the ball, grab the ball with authority when you're rebounding. And then I think a little bit turnovers, right? Three turnovers for Gardner. Again, I think he had five. It was against Navy. If I'm remembering correctly, Franklin had three turnovers. Obviously I'm kind of pointing out the new guys to the lineup. Kihei Clark and Reese Beekman both played more than 30 minutes, but I also don't think there's a viable alternative behind them to play the point guard spot. Whereas those other spots, you have a little bit more, yankability in terms of of able to shift other guys in and out that are kind of competing for minutes but I'm thinking Gardner was sitting there last night he put up big numbers against Houston a year ago at East Carolina he's playing 23 minutes you know it's going to be a little bit of not a character check but a challenge check for him you know what I mean like you came here for a very specific purpose right to I would assume to improve your pro pro stocks by getting better at your efficiency and at your defense. This is what gets Virginia guys long, long, long pro careers, NBA or otherwise. If you go through the list in the Bennett era, there are a lot of guys making a lot of money over a long period of time playing basketball, but it's because they're efficient. uh, They know how to play defense and they're pros, right? So a little bit of a challenge, I think, being sent to him last night, and I'm interested to see how Gardner responds. Well, it's interesting you mentioned uh, Texas Tech there, uh, Chris Horn, because Kyler Edwards was in that title game, playing for Texas Tech. He transferred, so he's spending his his final year of eligibility in Houston, and he was their second leading scorer. Maybe he had a little extra chip on his shoulder, wanting to get a little <laughs> revenge there, but uh, five for six from three, ended up with 18 points. Sasser was just great, uh, 19 points for him. He's kind of their leading scorer, it seems like, anyway. But those two guys, I was looking – they see their whole team just seemed bigger and stronger and faster than, than we did. But I looked, I mean, Edwards is only six, four and Sasser's only six, two and going into the season, that was my whole expectation or just looking forward to seeing Beekman Clark and Franklin put the clamp down on guys like that. Mm-hmm. And, and that front, you know, the, the defense around the perimeter just being, almost, you know, Havoc VCU-like. I mean, I know that's not the style we play, but there was a play there where Beekman turned turned the guy over that he was guarding, got an easy layup. Like, that to me needs to be a good chunk of our offense. You know, you got to get to the free throw line and you got to make some more threes. Otherwise, I mean, I was looking around at this game. We're running, like you said, Chris Wright, kind of normal offense. I'm like, I don't see any threats 
Like Houston doesn't seem concerned about any of our guys scoring <laughs> in a traditional right. manner in this game. So even, even Gardner, he tried to put up a shot every time he put up a shot, it seemed like it got blocked. So there's uh, a little bit of a points for him, man, that's, that's not going to cut it either. There was a little bit of a blueprint kind of vibe to this game. So I'm not setting off alarm bells yet, but a couple of things that Houston was doing just, just to check it off. Yes. Collapsing. We all expect that because everybody's going to try to make you prove it. Right. Yep. In terms of shooting with this team, Navy did it with zone. Houston did it just by, by man to man, but they were clogging things up and really gumming things up to make it hard for, for the guys on the interior, make us beat you on the outside. The other one. Okay. Sides blocker mover partners. You're running off screens here. You come ar around the wing or the corner. You're coming, try to get the ball. All right. Defenders have choices. They can chase, follow you through the screen. They can kind of play it straight up, meaning come a little bit later than you, but go around the bottom of the screen. Or they can cheat it and go over the top and try to meet you on the other side. Houston cheated screens a ton last night. Why? Because the read on a, on a cheat on a screen is to fade it, to, to go kind of behind the screen and out to that three-point line. If you can't make threes and you make them make that read, just cheat the screen, make them make the, the cheat read where they're going to fade out to the three-point line. You have to have some sort of counter if you can't make that shot. So Clark made a couple, Statman made a couple. I think at least two of those by, by direct memory, and I'll get a better idea on rewatch, were on cheated screens, fades, made the three. Can you do that consistently? Yeah. Because I think teams are going to try to cheat screens and make you do that. You know, Do you have an answer for it if you can't make those shots? So is there a way to kind of do other things out of that? So drive baseline or, or whatever. So just a little early season sort of blueprinty wrinkle alert. Look what Virginia adjusts to over the course of the season if teams keep cheating those screens like that. Well, and back to the percentages too, Chris Horn, you know, we shot about the same number of threes as Houston did. UVA shot 19, Houston shot 20. UVA made four and Houston made 11. So that right there, right. you know, 21 point difference we lost by 20 so yeah yeah i mean yeah uva is gonna have to and, and uh, some of it i mean and encourage statman's play i thought was pretty encouraging hopefully yes you know, yes it, it it you have to put it together though it can't just be like a one game but you know i think uh this is probably his best game at least at least coming out and shooting and, and scoring uh, maybe in his career, which, uh, you know, so, and to do it at Houston in a hostile atmosphere, um, uh, hopefully that's a good sign because UVA definitely needs some of these guys um, to really, really step up. I'm, you know, talk about like Statman and not necessarily uh, three point shooting, but like Shedrick, you know, and some of these guys, again, are real, they're, they're, they have, they're not used to playing, you know, major significant roles on a on a major college basketball um, stage, so it's going to take time to see if they can grow. You know, maybe they don't grow into the role, and maybe the struggles continue all season long. But a lot of these guys are having to take on new roles, like even like uh, an experienced guy like Armand Franklin. You know, coming in, he said after the Rafford game, he wanted to come here because he wanted to get out of his comfort zone and and kind of maybe be the guy that they that the team counts on so you know it's going to take some time for these guys to grow into the into these roles and into th that that they're going to have to play and I think and no uh you know they can't look to the door and expect anybody to you know DeAndre Hunter is not going to come walking through there or anybody you know this is the team that that that's out there so I think that that's gonna that if, if anything's going to wake you up and and uh, cause you to work harder and say, hey, we need to improve because it's just us. You know, that's going to be uh, uh, what happens moving forward. But, yeah, again, Statman, you know, we've seen that he's ha had a decent strike, so it's good that he got a few to go down. You know, Clark got a couple to go down, which is good. But, you know, you're going to have to do it consistently uh, in order to, you know, have the have the defense respect you or else it's, it is going to be a, unfortunately, potentially long season on the offensive end. That's why defense is going to be and being tenacious and, and physical. And one thing I noticed on, on Twitter, I think that one of the Navy players, they played, of course, Virginia Tech after Virginia, said that Virginia Tech was much more physical. They were faster. Uh, and I think it was talking about rebounding and aggressive or, and, you know, basically just kind of almost indicating like UVA is kind of soft a little bit. So, I mean, UVA has got 
that that's something that I think they, they can improve being tenacious and getting being physical and aggressive and being solid rebounding. And, and even on defense, one thing I noticed, like some of with the guards, as you mentioned, Jeff, I think, you know, Clark Beekman and Franklin have the potential to be like that tenacious and really give teams trouble. But, you know, especially maybe with, uh, with Clark and Beekman, sometimes they seem to be going for steals rather than, playing, you know, instead instead of playing, rather than playing the tenacious kind of pack line, getting in your face. Now, I think you want to be aggressive on occasion, but you can't kind of be sloppy necessarily and go for steals and then give up easy drives and things like that. So hopefully they can improve on those fundamental things. And then, um, and then all, while also improving that, that offense uh, as we move forward. But yeah, I think Bennett's also, you know, looking for some guys on to step up as well on offense. So we're seeing, you know, Murray and Milicic got a little bit more run yesterday. You know, McCorkle's gotten, got getting some chances. So, you know, Bennett's even looking for, you know, who's going to, who's going to kind of emerge. Well, and, uh, Chris Horner, as the recruiting guru for the, uh, the Saber.com, I, this is a weird year, too, because you've got these four highly talented guys coming in, you know, not to look too far ahead, Chris Wright, but, uh, you know, <laughs> Kihei, Gardner, Statman will be gone next year. But I almost see this year as like, these dudes better pick it up because next year, we got some dudes, we got some ballers coming in. I mean, mm-hmm. I almost see this year as you're, you're, trying to secure your playing time for next year in some respect. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and all four of those guys signed uh, letters of intent. You mentioned the class 2022. So Isaac McNeely, Isaac Trout, those are two guys who can really score the basketball. Uh, Ryan Dunn, another guy who uh, you know has a reputation or developing reputation as a pretty good shooter. Um, and Leon Bond's kind of a defender uh, extraordinary kind of wing type. So yeah, Virginia's got some playmakers coming in next year. Um, but I think, yeah, I think, you know, I'm not giving up on this, this year's group. I mean, you see on Twitter, some UVA fans are just already kind of throwing in the towel, but I think uh, no, I mean, for some reason, and yeah, maybe I'm, I may be crazy, but I think this team can develop offensively. Like, you know, Franklin can develop into that, primary score Gardner you know if if uh if UVA is able to develop that you know the outside shooting you know Gardner's you know a proven offensive performer you know if he's not swarmed by defenders down low um and I think Shedrick's got some potential as well but again he's a guy just starting out growing uh into his role but uh, you know so I think yeah in many ways you, you look at the upside of this year's team it could be you know with most of those guys with the guys you mentioned uh, moving on, the guys who are you – know, this year is going to be important for, for a lot of those guys developing. When you look towards next year's, the upside of next year's team, because, you know, if Virginia's got a really good core coming back next year that's playing well and, and good chemistry, and then you add that class, that's when it could be a, a potentially a, a special season. So, But, yeah, no, I think, uh, yeah, those the guys coming in are going to be pretty some, – some playmakers, so – you know, they will be competing for some starting spots for sure. You know, Shedrick and Beekman were also top 100 recruits. Yeah. So got to get here and do it. <laughs> that's a yeah, long time yeah. before. That's a long time before they're here. We'll see. Interesting kind of vibe to me in terms of, you know, you know, like throwing in the towel, like you said, you have some assumptions as coaches based on what you see on their previous film. You make assumptions as coaches based on what you see in inter-squad stuff. You get a little bit from preseason scrimmages, but you don't really know until the games are real. So they're learning some stuff. They've been trying some stuff with with Gardner and and kind of mid-range isolation sort of face-up areas. That's gone well in a couple of games, 18 points a game in the first two games. Did not go well last night, even though it was similar spots. You know, Franklin didn't shoot well in the first game. Didn't make any threes last night, I don't think, against Houston, but seems to be getting better feel for, for where his catches are and stuff. So there's just, you know, Shedrick's first time out there. He had a nice little elbow area move and then spun into a little hook. You know, so there, there are things there. It's a matter of getting a feel for how these pieces fit together and when and where to go to certain guys. So mm-hmm. that this is fairly typical roster turnover stuff. I think the concern for people in terms of throwing in the towel is – when you project out, like if it looks like this all season, if there's minor gains made, can you get to where you need to get to be double by territory in the ACC, which would be a lot to make the tournament. So I understand the concern, but it is so early and you need your 
you need your assumptions as a coach to be challenged in games before you can see if you were right or wrong. Yeah, the, the upside of the team, considering the off, potential offensive limitations, is you know, that's fair. But again, as, I, as I've mentioned, mentioned several times, I think, you know, this is a new team. Guys are developing into, you know, having to be comfortable in new roles. And so it's, it, it's, it, it takes time. And not to mention, you know, Houston's pretty good. <laughs> they made the Final Four. They, they've been, a lot of these guys played, you know, returning from that team. Edwards, I think he played pretty well against UVA in the national championship game. So maybe he just likes playing against UVA. I mean, he and Sasser were, were special from beyond the arc. So I think uh, you got to give Houston some credit as far as uh, as in terms of being a team that's seasoned, that's played together. The chemistry is there, playing playing at home and all this other stuff. So hopefully it's a good learning experience. And I think we'll hopefully know you know more you know when UVA plays. Uh, you know, say like a Georgia coming up and an Iowa will, I think, uh, you know, see if UVA is able to take some steps forward against those teams. Well, and I will say, you know, that one of the concerns for me, and I, I think I alluded to it earlier, is the Navy game and this game, there were two guys that killed us, basically. So nobody else was in double figures besides Sasser and Edwards. And Navy was similar. They had two two hot shooters who happen to be undersized guards in both cases. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that as the season goes along. And, you know, it's one thing when you come in against like a, a top 15 team and they've got six, 10 frontline, five star guys all over the place, a la maybe like a Duke type of team. And they're coming in with, with the swagger and everything. But that to me is a little concerning when you've got, you know, guys on the perimeter where our defense is supposed to be the strongest, or you would think it would be you know, getting hot from three and everything like that. So the free throw defense guys was good though. Eight of 15 on free throws for Houston. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's good <laughs> when you can get some missed free throws. So foul, would, more often, foul more often is the. Would, <laughs> might have been a little uglier if they had made some of those. So I want to see the Georgetown game though. So I want to see the UVA team that showed <laughs> out against Georgetown. You know, fans are. First of all, Georgetown's awful, it looks like. They, they really struggled <laughs> uh, in some of their early games here. But, you know, fans are clamoring for more McCorkle, more Murray, more Milicic. We've seen very limited information at this point, but McCorkle played six minutes, almost seven minutes last night and only got one shot off against that aggressive defense. So is he the answer in terms of, oh, he's a shooter, put him out there, he'll fly off screens and shoot. Well, Okay. Is that true, right? Did did he did he fly off and pull the trigger against that aggressive defense last night? Is that a learning experience for him? I think it probably was. You know, Tane Murray. Is there a way to use him differently? Maybe, maybe not. Right? It, that that one they're still feeling out. I think. And then Milicic is just fascinating because we haven't seen much yet. He looks the part mm-hmm. when he's out there. Like when he's just if you're just standing and, and looking at the screen, it's like, oh yeah, that that dude looks like like he belongs on the basketball court. He's big. He's fluid that sort of thing. So does that materialize at some point? I wouldn't write that off yet either, just because he didn't play in the opener and has had garbage time minutes so far. We'll we'll see. And I know fans are clamoring for those types of changes to fix the offense, but I just, I think it's going to take time. And I think they are also learning, right? So McCorkle is the one that sticks out to me from last night or from the Houston game. He didn't fly off screens and shoot anything because they were in it. They were in his pocket. (laughs) So you know, there's a learning experience for him too. It's not like you automatically insert him for Clark or you automatically insert him for Beekman and ta-da, everything's fixed. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't think it's nearly as, as simple as that. Yeah. So Coppin State coming up on Friday, they're 0-5 already on the season. And then Georgia and Lehigh uh, at Georgia, or is that a neutral site game, the Georgia one? Neutral. Neutral site. And then mm-hmm. uh, back home for Lehigh on the 26th. So those are the um, upcoming matchups. And you obviously have the other other side of that bracket too. So either Providence or... Is there a second game there? Or yes. the Northwestern? I think that's right. Providence or Northwestern uh, on oh, the okay. other side of the Legends Classic, which winners play, losers play. So we don't know who they're playing in that second game yet. But yeah, so four games in the next eight, nine days to figure out and learn more about this team. Well, and just, you know, as you look around the country, Illinois lost by one up at uh, Marquette and Shaka 
as uh, he's got a new team. Uh, North Carolina struggled at the College of Charleston, ended up pulling away in the end. Michigan, number four, loses uh, to Seton Hall. BYU absolutely destroys Oregon, who was ranked number 12. That was 81 to 49, the final. So, you know, some highly ranked teams are, are losing across the country here early on. And, um, you know, the who's, I think, what's this is the first one and two starts in a while, maybe since 2012, <laughs> I think I saw. That's it's been, it's been a while, yeah. So. The, the announcers brought up during the game, and, I, and I'm curious what you guys think, and I kind of understood what they meant that Caden Shedrick needs to give more. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we, we've talked about some of these guys we expect to be high usage players a lot. Beatman, Clark, Gardner, Franklin. Well, the fifth starter there is Shedrick. Gardner, he has more size than Gardner does. So if Gardner's getting swallowed up by some, some bigs, is there a way to kind of use Gardner for spacing? In other words, back him up a little bit and then see if Shedrick can, can give more. I, the, the announcers seem to think that that Virginia is going to need him to do that for this team to be good. And I don't know where I sit on the, on the scale there, how much Shedrick could boost things, but I do, I think I, I made him the X factor in the preseason. I do think his variance could be a big determiner uh, how wildly things swing. Well, already early on guys, I feel like I don't, I don't sense that Shedrick has been in foul trouble necessarily. Is it, uh, conditioning or motor type issue where he's he's playing about half the game and Kafaro's playing about half the game. Mm -hmm. So even more, I think that puts the onus on on Shedrick because he's he's going to be the more productive offensive player. I think you know yeah. Kafaro might play a little bit harder and be a little bit more solid defensively, but yeah, that something needs to shake out there with <laughs> between that rotation and well, production. <laughs> That's another thing to figure out, though, right? Is is how long can they go and play at a play at a high level? Yeah, you know, before before dropping off. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty high on Shedrick. I think in terms of his potential, and uh, you know, I think we Chris mentioned the jump hook. Now uh, he, I think, airballed a three pointer at the end of the first half or something like that. But I mean, I think he's got he's got a decent touch. I think Houston was real really physical with him. But I think he's he's a guy that again. You know, he's 10 of 10 from the foul line. I know he's 0 for 3 against Houston, but he was 10 of 10 against uh, against Radford. So he's shown, you know, he's got some touch. Uh, he had, a, I think, against Navy, he had a nice kind of quick catch and uh, in the lane and, and pull up for a jumper uh, really quickly that he swished. So I think he's got some nice touch. And, again, you know, last year was kind of unfortunately for him, I think last year was the year that they were expecting to be able to really have him learn and grow and uh, – really prepare him for this year but unfortunately he was out because of you know he had the offseason where he had uh, an illness and then he came back and then he missed a good chunk of last season with uh, I believe uh, an illness another I don't know if those kind of complications from the same thing or not but so you know unfortunately he didn't have that last year so he's kind of going through some growing things right now but yeah I think he's a guy that can step up for Virginia um, at least I have confidence that he can and uh, hopefully as the season goes on, he'll get more confidence. But, yeah, a game like this, I think, going against Houston where, you know, their they're playing is extremely physical is a really good learning experience for a guy like him. And then I th I'm sure Coach Bennett uh, will be able to, you know, get him, figure things out with him in terms of offense. Because I think, I think that there's some, definitely some potential there for him to emerge um, as a significant contributor on both ends of the court uh, throughout the season. Rim protection was a, a question, yeah. right, after – the, the Jay Huff era, right? So he did have a couple of eye-catching blocks against Houston, like mm -hmm. really thunderous type blocks. So, you know, signs of that kind of growth in his game potentially too. Yeah. He's really fluid, athletic, uh, seems to have a decent touch. Uh, yeah, definitely needs, I think, to be get used to playing physical, more physical basketball. And again, that's where I think Houston will help. But I'm excited to see his his growth and his, his potential, um, and how how he develops over the course of the season. But yeah, I think UVA needs better play, certainly more consistent play from Clark Beekman uh, in the backcourt. Can't can't turn the ball over, and and hopefully they can become you know more consistent offensive uh, contributors and yeah more tenacious defenders as well. I got the sense last year, guys, that there were times where defensively maybe for whatever reason um you know new guys coming together that mostly but you in this defensive style you almost you have to trust that your help is going to be there 
<laughs> and a lot of times the, the first guy wasn't trusting the second guy or the second guy wasn't there or something. There was a, that was kind of a breakdown. It seemed like, so th is that's a philosophical part of the pack line, right? You're kind of funneling somebody towards help. And then you're relying on that help guy to maybe and just the recovery aspect and all of that. So, I mean, a guy like Shedrick needs to be there to be that room protector and a guy like Kafaro, you know, you, you, he can't get four fouls in, in 10 minutes of play, right? I mean, it has to be done without fouling. Am I close on that, Chris? No, that, no, yeah, 100%. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Ideally, you have someone there to help you at all times. Ideally, you close out while the ball's in the air. In other words, you arrive when the ball arrives, which requires continuity. You hear the word continuous from Coach Bennett a lot. And it also requires some anticipation. And that's where you're trusting the help part kind of materializes, right? Like if you're trying to do too much of one and not enough of the other, if you're not anticipating the next movement, sometimes that makes you late, particularly at, at, at this level. So, you know, top, top 20 level for sure that, that Houston's at, you know, can expose some of those things. I think you saw a little bit of that in that matchup. And then, yeah, can you be physical without fouling? <laughs> so some of that is also how you're reacting and help. So some of Kafaro's are, he's kind of in the right spot. And then the recovery is a little slow or a little, the momentum kind of carries him too far and he'll get into a foul. There was at least one of those in the Houston game where he helped correctly, rotated back correctly, but his momentum carried him right through the guy as he rotated back. So, <laughs> you know, there, there's a feel for it that, that takes some time. You know, overall fouls, uh, Houston had 17, UVA uh, 12 personal fouls. Beekman and Franklin both had four. Um, so overall, it, it just from an aggressive standpoint, Houston didn't seem to have as much of a problem fouling, <laughs> I guess. And the, the stats bear that out. Just watching it was like, oh, hack, hack, hack. You know, they, they're just – some of the plays were just good defense, and then some of them maybe the more physical team gets away with more uh and we've seen that over the years too with uva where you're if you're just a little bit passive and the other team is really aggressive you know the referees are going to call the game a certain way so just take it to them who's you got plenty of opportunities coming up and uh it's still november so we appreciate you listening as always and everybody uh subscribe like follow share all that good stuff and we will talk again next week hopefully with a lot of good, good, good things <laughs> to balance out the universe of all the negativity this week. Let's get some positivity going next week, but it'll, it'll be interesting uh, regardless. So thank you, gentlemen. And for the saber.com podcast, go who's. <laughs>